With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Ah, welcome back to Herd Tell. Okay, one of my very favorite people to talk to. He's been here frequently, although it's been way too long, buddy. You've been too busy up there yeah. in the not yet great white north, but give it a couple of weeks. You're not too far from snow, I don't figure. Uh, he's up in the Minneapolis St. Paul area. Uh, great writer, OrdinaryDadsTimes.com, and his own writing at Medium and his podcast, which we'll talk about in a minute. Dennis Saunders, how are you, sir? Great to see you again. I am doing well, and probably it will be next week when it's the great white north. You, you never know here in Minnesota. Yeah, I was just talking to one of our friends out in Colorado, and they're like, you get four distinct seasons, but they come without warning. Same thing up there. It's like, eh, it's 70, it's snow, and it's, there's not a whole lot of transitional time, is there, up there? No, there is not. There, there is summer, and then, you know, a week of fall, and then six months of winter. So, yeah, this is Narnia, pretty much, <laughs> without <laughs> without the Christmas. <laughs> Well, at least you got a nice lamppost, which I do know Minneapolis has. Uh, We've got a mess on our hands, my friend. Let's talk about it. You were tweeting about the Herschel Walker thing. Hypocritical politicians are not new. I would say that's more the norm than the exception. So I don't think that's actually the story here. No. I think the story here is the intersecting lines, the cross streams, if you will, of how people are reacting to the hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. I don't want to debate the whole thing because it, it rehashes a lot, but the, the base level of it is none of this is new. If you Googled Herschel Walker, most of this information, even though we didn't have some of the specifics, this was all already out there. So the people that are thinking, well, this is going to, I don't think this actually changes this race all that much. I think it may change it a few points and this is probably going to be a couple points race. So that may be enough. But this idea that the GOP is currently constituted after years of Trump is going to just abandon him because of this. We've already seen evidence. I don't think that's actually going to happen. How do you want to approach this? Cause I thought you had a pretty strong line online and I don't think you're wrong. Although I would narrow it down. I don't think it's all Republicans or all conservatives or everybody on the right, but this is a, this is a good test case here is like, do you have a political party? Do you have an ideology or do you have a brand that you're going to protect at all costs? Yeah. And I, I think, what has happened with the GOP over the years is that the things that make up a political party, kind of the selecting of candidates, um, even the kind of the vetting, the whole um, how how you handle candidates, um, even dismissing them, the, the power is gone. I, I think a lot of that has been steadily being eroded. And that even happened, I think, before Trump came on the scene. And I think that's actually why you see the the rise of Trump. And I, at the same time, I think there's also this really rise in identity um, in the in, within the body politic, I think, as a whole, where who we are as Republicans and as Democrats are, we're just kind of bound up in that. It, so that it now becomes who we are and becomes our kind of our brand, our identity. And um, when it comes to people like Herschel Walker, since we no longer have that kind of party discipline anymore, but we have this kind of brand, that identity that we want to protect and, and tribalism, basically what it boils down to is that 
how a candidate acts no longer matters. What matters is that they're on our side and they will vote our way. And, you know, does it, who cares if, you know, our candidate who says that they want to ban abortion now um, actually also obviously paid for an abortion um, many years ago and doesn't seem to be bothered by it. So, I mean, I, I think that's where we are right now. And I think you see that among the Democrats to some extent as well, but it's it's far, far more pronounced um, with the Republicans. Let's back up for a second, because I want to put a little context on this. There's a theme that runs through these stories every time we have them. Let's go back to the Obama administration. Remember the Treasury Secretary when he was the appointee and we found out all the stuff about him and lies. Well, we have to have him for the good of the country. The country, we got to have this guy. The line for Clinton. Well, mm-hmm. it's okay that he lied because he's the president. Look at all the wonderful things he's doing. Mm-hmm. The folks that supported Trump. Well, he's he's fighting all the right enemies. So you can pick anybody of any party yes. going back as far as you want to go. Uh, you can go back to the to the Jefferson Madison crap. You know, the, the same thing is, well, my vision is good for the country. And that stuff got really ugly in the press. It's always the same story of, well, the rationalization is, well, it doesn't matter X, Y, and Z because we really got to have this person. We're talking about Herschel Walker, who in and of himself is a celebrity candidate for the U.S. Senate. He doesn't have actual any qualifications whatsoever for the job. He doesn't know how to do the job. It's strictly a celebrity candidate. And go ahead and miss me, because if the Democrats put up a celebrity candidate, I'll say the same thing about that. He's going against a sitting U.S. senator who, good, bad, or indifferent, if you don't like it, he at least has a track record in the U.S. Senate. A very pronounced progressive. That's who he is. That's the background he came through. You judge those two records. You have a celebrity candidate and you have a very traditional progressive incumbent candidate. That's this race. So even if you're going to go to, well, we got to have this guy no matter his record, I don't find that one bit compelling here because I don't think he's really qualified for the office anyway. So now you're into, well, he's the lesser of two evil. You see where this is just becoming a swirling thing. It seems like we're doing it with every single freaking candidate that comes out that's on the fringes like this. Yeah, and I think it's also important to note that, you know, um, Raphael Warnock has his own issues. Um, there have been allegations like of, of um, domestic violence. And I'm, I don't want to equalize that, and I, it, this is not whataboutism, but it, it, it's the fact that especially it's more pronounced now than ever before, and it's been building over decades, is that our candidate is our candidate and we will support them regardless of, of who what they do, because, you know, they'll vote the way that we want them to vote. And, you know, I, I think I was reading the other day um, an op-ed by Henry Olson, who, um, in the Washington Post, who said basically that, that, you know, he's a pro-life candidate. Um, Raphael Warnock isn't, so we're just going to support him. Um, also kind of forgetting that there is another issue there. It's not just the abortion issue. I mean, there there have been also um, repeated um, allegations of, of domestic violence with Herschel Walker as well. And again, we're just going to ignore that because he's going to vote the way that we want him to vote. Put your pastor hat on for a second. Bad behavior doesn't start with the worst behavior. It's a learned behavior. Most of the mm-hmm. time with very few exceptions. The reason we're doing this politically is we have conditioned ourselves over many, many years to do this. And 
I'm I'm going to go to Clinton because that was the first election of my lifetime. But this goes before him. I'm not just picking on him. That was the first time we did it in mass media as we know it today with the Internet, yes. with mass mm -hmm. media. We did the, oh, well, he's the president. Well, any if anybody deserves some peace on the side, that's the, I heard network TV anchors yes. say that people don't believe me saying it. We had sitting United States government officials come out and say, well, we cannot allow this to derail the work of the people. That was the Clinton administration line for all of his lies. And, and we now know we didn't know as much then as we know now his other abuses of women that have been alleged and otherwise. And we had sitting people on network TV. I remember I, I remember when it was live and it became legend after that. I'm sure there's YouTube. You had people sitting on network TV and go, it's amazing how well he lies to us. It's just a marvel to behold. That happened. I, I watched it. You watched it. We're old enough to remember this. That's the first time I remember it happening. Mm hmm. OK, that was a Democratic president and Republican response. And I talked about it on this program. Hey, look, Newt Gingrich had to resign. You know, Livingston couldn't become the speaker because he had to resign in scandal. Gingrich had scandal and then they got replaced by Hazard, who ended up going oh, to prison gosh. for molesting children. <laughs> yes. So this is this is bipartisan mess. Mm -hmm. And then but you want to know how you got Trump? That begot Trump eventually because you just put yes. things aside and you put it aside and the Democrats put it aside and the Republicans put it aside and the Libertarians and the Independents and the Purple Hippopotamus Party. I don't care who it is. We've done this for th at least the 30 years I've been following politics since I was a teenager. That got us to here well, and, and we don't want to talk about yeah. that part of this. Nope. No. And, and I think that that's that is fascinating. I, I you know the 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 whole Clinton mess. I think in many ways, when um, Trump got into trouble um, in twenty sixteen, and now I'm forgetting that the the name of the program, but um, but the tapes that were out there and the grab him by you know the you know what, and everyone thought that, that was going to be he was going to get um, derailed by that. And what did he do? The, the the dates were coming up. He brought all of the people who had accused Bill Clinton of different um, form, either sexual harassment or or even allegations of rape. He brought them on TV, and I think that that pretty much effectively stopped any any type of of um, talk anymore about what he had done because the Democrats didn't really have anything to say they you know they had a, a leader whose wife was now running for president who did a lot of the things that we were now uh, were being accused of trump and i think those things have a way of coming back around and biting people and and i think it is also in this time of age and i think as a pastor you know this the, what tribalism does is that it blinds us to our own sin so we don't have to see the problems that we are doing. We don't have this sense of introspection. And so we're blind to that. And um, again, kind of like here, we, we were talking about the Herschel Walker thing. It's it's bad, but we're not thinking about how other part, you know, th this has been part of a process, but as you said, has been building over the last 30 years and that we just don't, we don't see it and don't and choose not to see it because the other guy is is worse and so that's why we and so we need to you know 
elect our person so that we can um, have our policies put forward and who care and, and to make sure that the other guy doesn't get in power. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The other guy, Dennis Saunders, joining us, the other person get not getting in power is part of the problem here, too, because mm-hmm. we got we got some pretty amazing audio this week of um, one person in particular just saying, well, I don't care, just win the Senate. Well, hold on. The Republicans had the Senate just two years ago. Mm-hmm. They may lose it. They may gain it. It may be another split Senate for the next two years. The Senate is in the last 15 years or so. It's never more than a two or three cycle thing. The Senate switches hands. Why do we just stop for a second and go, wait a minute. Why are you trading all this goodwill and your integrity and all this for this temporary thing that we already know historically you're not going to have for very long? And then when you get it, frankly, Republican Party, you did precious little with it when you had all three branches of government. You didn't Mm -hmm. even by your own standards, you didn't do very much with it. We're always told most important election of our lifetime. If we just win the House, if we just win the Senate, both parties do this, especially the right, though. If you just win the Senate, if you just win the House, if you just get this governorship, how long are we going to dangle that carrot before people start taking some stock and go, wait a minute, this is just a perpetual thing because I'm on like my ninth or tenth most enforced election of our lifetimes, right? Mm-hmm. At least you're on more than that. I, like, I'm just, I don't have anything pithy to say here. I'm frustrated. I don't understand why people can't see past their noses on this stuff. It's the age that we live in. It's, I mean, we're just incredibly tribal and all that matters is our tribe. And it doesn't even matter how long we have the house or the presidency or the governorship or the dog catcher or whatever. What matters is having it. 
that's that's the point. Um, it it doesn't even matter anymore about governing. I mean, we don't really care about trying to be uh, to govern and to try to to lead a, a nation of 330 million people. It's it's really about the prize, and that is all that matters. And I don't know how that changes. I really don't. I um, like you. I'm frustrated. I mean, I. I'm someone that is fascinated by politics, but I also want politics to do something, um, to aspire to more, to try to solve um, some of the problems that we face as a nation and as a world. And, but you can't have that if all that you're doing is trying to um, just grab the presidency or the or the Senate seat or whatever, just as a trophy and that's kind of where we are right now. And I'm really at a loss anymore as to how we get out of that. Yeah. Dennis Saunders joining us. He's got a couple different things going like the church and main podcast. I, I wonder with our politics, with everything being personality driven, let's be honest, the parties are now secondary to the personalities. That's the real problem here. I don't know how you ever fix a, identity thing with a political solution in other words i think part of what's going on is we keep wanting to use the political parties to fix something cultural Mm -hmm. and the political parties keep pitching culture to try to fix the politics and never the twain will meet except in fundraising those those are two tracks that sometimes they intersect that's true but most of the point most of the time they don't And the thing is, you can keep that lie going for a very, very long time before they hit an intersection where it has to hit because something really big culturally or politically happens, a disaster happens, a crisis happens. Is that too cynical of a way of viewing this? Because I feel like that's kind of how this happens is you just see that other train on the parallel track and you're just assuming they're never going to collide with each other. That seems to be kind of where we're at with some of this. It is. And... I'd go even farther to say what's happened is that um, politics has become a religion and it's kind of become the kind of the the worst aspects of religion in that um, we are so kind of bound up by who we are, um, whether that's liberal or conservative, that we can't, um, it, it, makes us kind of see the other side, not simply as someone that um, we disagree with, but as the enemy and that that enemy has to be defeated. And so um, when you're kind of looking that way, I think it allows you to excuse a lot. Um, and I think that's kind of where we're at. Dennis Saunders joining us. Let's just go there with that, though. We know historically all kinds of bad stuff happens under the guise of God wills it. You know, the old Deuce Vault (laughs) from the Crusades on. Mm -hmm. God's a really bad excuse to do a lot of really bad human things. We know Mm -hmm. this is historically true. We're seeing it in the American church, and there's just no way around it. People get mad talking about this, but look, you're you're more of a mainline. You're more progressive, and I don't mean politically. I mean theologically. Mm -hmm. You're more progressive than I am. I'm more traditional. What people call evangelical, although I hate that term and we'll debate that some other time. I, I think I come from a bit of a different tradition, but I'm way more conservative Baptist than you are. Here's where I know we agree because we talk about it so much. When you start substituting theology and politics together, 
I don't even know where to start with it even more, even though I've studied theology for 20 years, both academically and just because I really like it. But either either your God is an omnipotent God that knows what's going on or he's not. And if you're saying, well, I need to do this to win this election for God, that's not compatible with that. I hate to be that simple about this, mm-hmm. but it really is that simple. When your church starts telling you you have to do this, this and this for God politically, number one is I don't think you're honoring God. Number two is I think you're fooling yourself and giving yourself too much of power that isn't yours in the first place to go do things that really isn't in your purview to start with. That's really Reader's Digest. That's really basic. I know people can pick that apart, but I'm tired of all the ethereal arguments on this. When you get down to the core of it, that's what it is. It's you have to do what I said to do because this is, and we just tack God in front of whatever X, Y, and Z is. That is extremely unhealthy for a church. It's unhealthy for a, it'd be unhealthy for an Elks organization. It's really (laughs) unhealthy for a, democratic republic that is pluralistic that is rapidly diversifying and that let's call it what it is that is losing any interest whatsoever in what christian churches have to say about much of anything with the way they're conducting themselves and i've got data to back all of that up but what Mm -hmm. do you think no i agree i i think that churches especially i would say in the last 30 40 years we've done a bad job of being I think a good type of Christian witness. Um, we have kind of substituted the the rough and tumble of politics um, and kind of jammed that into religion. And then, um, and so, you know, in some ways we end up with where we're at now with Herschel Walker. So, you know, we can say, yes, abortion is sinful and bad and wrong, and we're going to also support this guy who paid for an abortion. Um, and I think there is something I was, I've heard um, David French talk about, and I've heard about it too, and you're probably familiar with it more, even more so than I am, is that there is a certain group of, of um, people in the pro-life movement that are far radical, the abortion abolitionists, who basically there is the sense of, of, no abortion whatsoever, um, even if it's, you know, to save the life of a mother, and that if a woman has an abortion, well, then they should be um, imprisoned or punished for it. But here you have Herschel Walker, who, as I think David French says, had basically murder for hire. Um, And, eh, you know, who cares? Not that much. And then we wonder why the church doesn't have that influence anymore. And, you know, yes, part of it is because we're a more diverse nation. People have other faiths and all of that. But as you have said, part of it is also our witness. And um, our witness has sucked. It's it's been terrible in that we don't always live up to what we are professing. And then when we that happens... Um, we're kind of found out, then we try to try to excuse ourselves and try to, you know, offer different things. Well, it's for this reason or for that reason. Um, and so people, I think they see through that and they have enough of it and they, they walk away. Now let me see you go off like a bomb.
Dennis Saunders joining us. I, you know, something else is going to upset anybody, but it's just, it's true. We got the data. If you, when you, I think this is a thing and I've, this has been talked about by a lot smarter people than me. And I'm going to, I'm going to use a broad brush here because I have to, to get to the point, but just, I'll admit up front, this is a broad brush. Christian evangelicalism on the right, mm -hmm. predominantly a middle-class white institution by the vast majority. They have an absolute persecution per complex where they're so, they are quite possibly the most privileged religious subsect of people that has ever walked the face of the earth. When you talk about wealth, when you talk about influence, that like, this is fact. Christianity is a multi-billion dollar industry in America. They have privileges. And I really think there's something to it that they innately understand well, if I can have political persecution, that validates all my feelings and that validates my beliefs. Folks are going to get mad. I'm going to get hate mail for that. Look, I is one. I'm a Baptist. Okay. I think there's something to that accusation. I think there's validity to the accusation. They want that martyrdom complex and they substitute politics for it because, and, you know, the culture's out to get me, the government's out to get me, the left's out to get me, and they are out to get my beliefs. When they're really, historically speaking, and compared to the rest of the world, they're very cushy and they're very comfortable. I don't know if it's a guilt thing. I don't know what it is. That's a real thing. I'm convinced of it. Am I wrong? No, you're not. And that persecution complex has been around for decades. I think it's, it's, it's gotten worse over the last few years, um, especially as... I think America has changed um, demographically and all of that. Um, there hasn't really been, there hasn't been, a, been within American evangelicalism kind of a, a really deep reckoning uh, on, on things. Um, and I think that that needs to happen. Um, I'm not, even though, I've, as you said, we, you know, we come from different um, backgrounds. I think there is an important American evangelicalism is important. It has an important heritage, um, but it needs at some point to, to really face up to some of its, its shortfalls. And it hasn't. Um, and I think especially during the Trump years that has been really enabled um, to continue to feel as if they are the, the victims. Um, and, I don't know what happens to bring that about. Um, kind of like a lot of things I don't that are happening in our world today. I don't have an easy answer or know how that happens, um, but it has to happen. And um, I, you know, I think both the religious and the political issues that we've been talking about, it almost feels like there has to be some type of outside crisis um a a kind of the the mother of all come to Jesus moments for that to happen um and I don't know when that will happen or how that will happen but it seems like that's really the only way that something is going to change yeah Dennis Saunders joining us I think this is where you start having problems within the church you know again folks this is grown folk talk so if it's rough you know maybe this episode ain't for you we're just going to be real about a few things here this is how you get the mess you're having with the Southern Baptist Convention right now. 
Exactly. It's because they you we do not want to discuss our churches as power structures. Because oh, that's a that's a social justice term or that's a progressive term. No, it's just reality. I I've had on Jennifer Greenberg. I've had on these abuse experts. Every we we just did a episode on uh, the Marilyn Monroe movie on exploitation, abuse and exploitation and things like this. Whether it was Marilyn Monroe in the studio system, or kids in the church system, or the Catholic Church too, or a government organization, or even in a home with an abusive adult. It's always a power structure problem, and we have just absolutely refused to look at our churches as power structures because, especially in evangelical, conservative Christianity, we put so much power on the pastors and on the superstars and on the televangelists that they become their own little power structures, and there's no accountability anymore, which, yeah. number one, isn't biblical, and I don't want to bore people to death, but that's, that's completely against anything. You don't have a Bible verse for doing that. Sorry, you don't. I've heard them all. Okay, I've been to the Sword of Lord Conference. Just miss me with that. If you do not have accountability, if you do, you know, this will preach. I, I, I've got a God in the Bible I read that says, test me. <laughs> mm -hmm. He's not afraid of accountability. If any human being holds up religion and says, no, we're not accountable, that's the biggest red flag of red flags. And yet folks still flock to these people. And that's when you get abuse and that's when you get damage. And that's when you get people so far off the map that people really seriously get hurt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you know, the, the interesting thing about, especially about the um, Southern Baptists, especially is that because of their size, um, they have had a lot of influence in the culture. Um I think I remember we were talking earlier about uh, Bill Clinton. I think it was they came up with a very strong kind of statement. Um, I think it was at the 1998 um, convention um, about what was going on at that time. So, I mean, they have influence, and yet they also did, at the same time, did damage to their witness because... You know, they had a lot of pastors and, and other leaders and um, male leaders that were abusive, and they pretty much hid them and um, and hid what was going on. And I think we're very just horrible towards people who have been abused, many, in many cases, mo mostly women, um, which then brings up another issue about the role of gender. Um, and I'm not, you know, you don't have to agree with how I view of, of male-female relations, um, but that was a pro that's a problem within evangelicalism. And I, again, there needs to be, at some point, some type of reckoning of how do we deal with all of this? Um, doesn't mean that y'all have to become progressives, but how do you come to terms? How do you uh, repent? And how do you kind of reform? Uh, Dennis Saunders joining us. This is why I love talking to him, because I can throw this real heavy stuff at him and he doesn't blink. The political movements that we're seeing now on the hardening right, national mm -hmm. conservatism, Christian nationalism, you can call these a lot of different terms, but none of this is new. This is new branding, no. but none of this stuff no. is new. 
This is the same thing that I've I've told our Catholic friends about. Uh, some of they've got their theocratic movement too, and some of them are merging with this national conservative yes. stuff. Amazingly enough, which is really really hilarious to me in a in a dark way. I don't buy you as a political movement when you can't even get your pews full on Sunday. Hmm. I mean, you're telling me that you're going to have this great Christian national awakening. You can't even fill churches up, man, but you're going to have a political movement of it. Mm -hmm. So that tells me two things. One is you're not serious about it because you would build your church first and then try to make it into a movement if that was accurate. Number two, that also tells me that you know well and good. You know well and good the limits of your movement. And... (laughs) Somebody said it on Twitter and I would cite it, but they're like, if if your movement starts with a conference, it's not a movement, it's a business model. Um, I I don't want to overplay because I think people are losing their minds a little bit about how dangerous this is because I don't think they're going to be more than a niche. I don't think they're going to be any bigger than what they really are. But I do think it's important to point it out. It's like, look, yes, America has a Christian tradition. Yes, we have in God we trust on our money. But it's more complicated than that. And if you're going to have religious freedom, you have to give people some breathing room underneath that. And when you go to this Christian nationalism stuff, you're not only not giving people breathing room, but you're actively chasing down people's rights and freedoms because those two things are just not compatible in the United States of America that's pluralistic. And it's going to hurt people that really do have faith. And that's the piece they don't understand because they don't care because it's about power, not about faith. But that's the thing. It's not for for a lot of these movements, Christian nationalism or anything. It's about power. Um, it isn't about trying to fill up the pews. It's really about trying to control the levers of power. And in some ways, I don't see this any more different than um, kind of what's going on in, in um, Russia. If you talk about the Russian Orthodox Church and um, Patriarch Kirill, same thing, very much that kind of grab power grab. It, it's not about um, the church or, or, or trying to be Christ-like um, to living out what, um, how Christ lived. It's about gaining the control of power, but we'll just sprinkle a little religious fairy dust on it and it'll make it all right. Yeah, I've gotten my first death threats in quite a long time because I wrote a piece that literally said, you know, Patriarch Kirill can go to hell because mm-hmm. he was he was bringing back plenary indulgences for anybody that would go fight in Ukraine, which is just, I never thought Whoa. I'd beat that in my lifetime. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, the bots got after me about that. But it, whatever, even crippled, you know, pack a lunch, bring a bunch of friends. You're going to need it. Um, that's the extreme example is what Kirill's doing, where he's saying, mm-hmm. well, if you go off and fight, then your sins are forgiven. You go to heaven. <laughs> real crusader type stuff that we should not be yeah. seeing in the year of our Lord 2022. No, that's the extreme, but like the hypocrisy thing we started out talking about that didn't happen overnight either. You know, the nope. Russian, the, that particular, I don't want to say all of them because there's also descending parts of the Russian Orthodox church. That yes, this stuff. The official Russian Orthodox church has been corrupt for decades going all the way back through the Soviet union. This isn't a new thing. They got there by steps. You know, the old Rich Mullins song, Sometimes by Steps. It applies mm-hmm. to this, too. That's why we need to talk about things like churches getting overtly political. And I don't care which way, because progressive churches have the same problem. They get all ate up on the politics yep. and they, they lose their ministry. I This is why you got to start it and nip it in the bud, the Barney Fife theology. You got to nip it in the bud because the patriarch Kirill's the world didn't start out that way. 
Mm-mm. They started out with, well, this guy's got to be in power so we can be in power. And you end up there. So, yeah, we probably won't see that in America in our lifetimes. Hopefully, who knows the way this is going. But that's why I think we do need to talk about this. It's culture and politics because it's a ball of yarn that is not, you can't separate it anymore. And religion is a, more than one of those strands of yarn in that ball now. And I don't think it's healthy for us to pretend otherwise anymore, especially people that do take their faith seriously. Look, I'm a, I'm a pitiful Christian. I'm a C-minus at best Christian. That's on my good days. I don't, I don't preach at people because I'm very well aware of my own failings and my own sin. And I just don't, you know, you can call me a hypocrite in a big hurry. And it's all true when it comes to faith because I'm not good at it. I fail. But we, if you care at all about faith, if you care at all about religious freedom, if you care at all about your country, daggone, we better start talking about this in an adult fashion in some some form. I, th- I think some conflict would actually be healthy here because right now everybody's just kind of doing it by, you know, osmosis and inertia. And mm-hmm. that's why we're where are we at? It's funny that you brought up um, Rich Mullins. Um, he was actually... Um, probably in my more evangelical days, I really, and I still do, loved his music. Um, there's a video that's been going around, and I don't know when it was from, I think maybe from from the early to mid-90s, so it was just before his death. Um, he was someone that challenged that the evangelical culture of his day. Um, but he not only challenged it, he actually lived it out. Um, you know, he, money that he got he actually um had an accountant make sure that he got paid basically what was the i guess ongoing way average wage for someone and everything else was given away um he spent i think the last few years of his life uh working uh among um, the navajo to um, teach music um he spoke out against kind of um the I would say the cushy lifestyle sometimes that especially a lot of evangelicals were living. And, you know, that's, we need more of those type of people um, in our culture today. Um, maybe, I don't know if that's a prophet or not, but I mean, that that's the, we are sorely lacking of those type of people who not only um, who can speak out, but also live it out. Um, it's, you know, we have a lot of people that talk a lot, but they don't really believe what they necessarily believe. It, it's really all about power. Um, and I think we need more Rich Mullins in our um, in our culture and in our political life these days. Think, um, Dennis Saunders joining us. I think this is a churchwide problem, especially on the evangelical right, which again, I hate that term, but it's what I got, so I got to use it, especially conservative churches. There's zero tolerance for, for the dissenters anymore. Oh, there's, yes. there's very little tolerance for the characters. You know, the <laughs> they just get decried as liberals and get ran out. And th- this, this, this has been a long time building. You can go back to the moral majority days and the fun. Look, 
let, let, let me go to history because I want to stick to facts and not just not my opinion all the time. You can say what you want about the Christian fundamentalists of the 50s, 60s, and 70s, but when they said separation, they meant it. They didn't want nothing to do with the politics. They wanted to be left alone. They they were wrong about a lot of things, but they when they said it, they meant it, and they believed it, and they went out and lived it. Mm-hmm. This new strand of fundamental puritanism that is mixing the politics and the culture, and they're saying, well, we've got to do this, this, and this. I think that's the biggest problem they got is nobody that's outside of their clique, nobody that's outside of that niche. And even people like me who are, you know, probably more sympathetic to them than other people, because I understand where they're coming from. There's no way to look at their support of people. I'm just going to go there like a Herschel Walker, like a Donald Trump. Like if you tell me, okay, I'm supporting Donald Trump for this, this, and this reason. And he's got these failings, but I've done, okay, fine. Even if I don't agree, I heard your logical thought out argument. I'm talking about the people who pitched him as a religious leader. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the people like, oh, well, he's a Christian now, even though there's zero evidence of that whatsoever. I'm talking about the people who just slap that peg as a widget into their wheel of already existing whatever's going on in their ideology, philosophy, and theology, and just press ahead because nothing ever dents the bubble. That's where not having dissonance, that's where not getting challenged on anything, that's where having a closed-loop system, to use the Apple term, because I'm not in the cult of fruit, you poor souls that are, I'm, I'm praying for you. That closed loop system, though, this is what it creates 10 out of 10 times. You can't have dissent. You can't think. You can't challenge. That's not democratic. It's not healthy. And I could argue pretty successfully that's not really biblical either, which is mm-hmm. full of people being challenged and God himself saying, go ahead and challenge me. It's okay because I can handle it because God this closed loop stuff is dangerous because that's where you get that power structure. That's where you get the bad political ideas. That's where you get some really nasty stuff. And all that stuff starts with being a little bit of tolerant of the long haired hippies saying, well, why don't we just feed people and not worry about the rest of it? I don't agree with them, but you hear that opinions because it'll push you a little bit Mm -hmm. or, Hey, let's, let's debate what this verse really means or, Let's debate the ratio between doing things internally for studying and doing things outwardly in the community. Because no, you can't just be a food bank either, because now you're not a church either. You're a food bank. But we're not having any of those conversations, it seems like. No, we're not. I, I think, you know, kind of going back to the that the GOP isn't a political party anymore, is that I think when political parties usually have some give for difference that we're not all going to have the same opinion on the same issue um, all the time. You know, there might be people in a certain part of the country that are, you know, have more room or tolerance for gun, let's say with, for gun restrictions than um, other parts of the country. And there used to be that sense of tolerance and give. And again, when political parties and this is all on both sides. When they become um, identities, then there you can't have dissent because if there's dissent, then that challenges the identity and it challenges who you are. I mean, I think that's, you know, the Democrats years ago, there used to be a, a healthy amount of pro-life Democrats. When I, um, I hail from Michigan, um, and Dale Kildee was the person that represented my era, a part of the state. He was a longtime pro-life Democrat. 
Um, you don't have that anymore. Um, there is no you. There is no room in the Democratic Party for dissent on that issue. And it, you know, again, when when parties basically are identities, this is what you end up with, and it's it's building towards something that's not good on for for the country. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Dennis Saunders joining us, uh, using church really broadly to include everybody, Catholic, Protestant, whatever, people of faith, you know, even our Jewish friends, Muslim friends, Hindu friends, Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, we'll throw them in too because the colanders are really cool. How do we get people of faith to take religious freedom seriously? Because, frankly, the people of faith not taking religious freedom seriously is the biggest threat to religious freedom, in my opinion. It starts by seeing that that other person is a child of God. It starts by seeing them from your faith as someone that is created and um, by God and is deserving of of respect and of um, freedoms that you have, um, even if you don't agree with them. Um, and that you allow them as a uh, as a Christian to be able to live out their their life in the best way that is possible. Um, the problem now is that God has become tribal, and so our gods can't see beyond anything from ourselves. And so, if there is someone that is different from us, then they're not simply different and just um should and, and we don't see them as people that have the freedom to kind of live out their lives but as the enemy that must be destroyed um and i think for anything to change we have to see each other see the person who is is different from us as someone at least within our within the christian faith as someone that is a child of god even if we don't agree with them and because of that we want to uh, give them the utmost respect. Is that why 11 a.m. on Sunday is the most segregated hour in America still? Hmm. Yes. Yeah, you know, I think it is. I think um, it's funny. I think, you know, I was just hearing something earlier um, on the um, the Dispatch podcast about the fear especially among conservative white conservatives of not wanting to be called racist, but, and obviously that makes some sense, but I think 
we still, especially I think within American evangelicalism, there is still an issue when it comes to race. That doesn't mean necessarily that people are running around in hoods and setting fire to things, but I think people still haven't been able to reach out and see that someone who's African-American or, or, or Latino or whatever is, is just another person. And that it's important to build a bridge um, and not a wall. And, um, you know, I think we're not, at least in some parts of, of American evangelicalism, that's, that's not a, a possibility at this point. talked about this before dennis saunders with us how much of not dealing healthily with the past is affecting the current church because i think some of those wounds is showing up in the politics that we're talking about um i i don't think we've had some real good reckonings look reckonings is like a chasing a unicorn you never actually get one at least not on you know it's like earthly justice you don't really get justice you just get it as close as you can you don't really get a reckoning on things like what's happened in the history of the church in America, but what can we do today? Like, is it improving our individual conversations? Is it improving our social medias? Is it demanding? I I think a lot of it is demanding better of the churches we go to or go get you another church that will let you demand those sort of things. We're very territorial about these things. Practically speaking, we've been talking a lot of big picture and ideology and things like that practically the person sitting in a pew or a chair or on the stool and these new fancy places where they don't do chairs or pews or anything. What do those folks do that actually do want to make it better? But, you know, they don't want to have a theological debate and they don't want to have a political debate. They just want to be better people. What do they do? Give them a couple things there, pastor. You know what I would love to see more is just people talking. Um, people for for I think a lot of uh, people who um, for white evangelicals, but even for anyone, um, is to hear especially what African Americans deal with, and and to not react, just to listen, and then also for them to share their own fears and shortcomings um, without someone necessarily coming down on them, but to 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 have hash it out and to have an honest discussion. Um, I think that's really what we need is that because I don't think that you get to reconciliation, repentance and reconciliation until we can meet each other honestly with all of our faults and, and, and um, vulnerabilities and really just talk and come out to, to that. Because I think once we can get to that point where we can see each other as humans um, in need of grace and and humans that are um, faulty, but and who want to try to be better, that's really only what the only way we're going to move forward is by 
really showing some sense of humility and 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 honesty in our discussions. Dennis Saunders, coming back to the politics for just a second, because I did that on purpose, knowing we were going to go wide ranging from that. That's just the entry point to it. You know, speech class taught us that, you know, hypocrisy is just one of those, you know, red herrings in the debate. You're never going to solve it anyway. What do people that actually do want to care about integrity take away from something like this? Because I, I just had this conversation where I told somebody, like, I seriously doubt I ever get to vote for a president in the rest of my lifetime that I'm going to feel good about. And I seriously wonder if I'll ever have a president I can actually vote for for president again in my lifetime. I'm really concerned about it. I'm concerned that's a problem because I'm sorry, at my stage of life and the way I view life and my clock's ticking, I'm not dishonoring myself by voting for anybody that's not worthy of the office, period. I don't care who's against them. You can do whatever you want. That's what I'm doing. If they're not worthy of the office from dog catcher to president, I'm not voting for them. I'm not going to do it. That's just my personal thing. We're not going to get the better candidates anytime soon. So what do people do? Because this is a, let's be honest here. This isn't a cycle in the politics cycle problem. This is a generational problem. Yeah. I think that we need to demand for better candidates. Um, we need to stop thinking that we have to, you know, we have to vote for our guy um, and not have their guy win. Um, we have to really, I think, I think that as a culture, we have to demand better from, from our, from the people who choose to, or who are deciding that they want to lead us. Um, and right now we just kind of let things slide because, well, they're on our side and um, that's not good enough. I think there needs to be within with people that are willing to say enough. Um, we want something better. We want you to be better. Um, and it might mean that people sometimes have to not vote period. Um, and that's hard to say, um, but if we want to have a better democracy, a better society, um, I think it means that we demand better from our candidates, that so we just don't accept them or try to excuse them just because they're on our team. Um, because when we do that, then it not only says a lot about that candidate. It says a lot about us that we don't, that in some ways we just, this doesn't matter. And we, virtue is something that matters as, as much as whatever policies or, or positions that someone has. And I think that a democratic society has to have virtuous candidates not perfect candidates, but virtuous candidates. And I th I'm, I'm fearful right now that we don't really have virtuous candidates and that is harmful for our democracy as a whole. Yeah. Dennis Saunders. And the harsh truth of that is we get, we have a representative government, which means we get the government we deserve. Yeah, exactly. Even when that's, that's a, that's a thing of omission instead of commission of, we didn't care enough to change it, mm -hmm. which means we get the candidates we deserve. Yep. So all my complaining about the candidates, it also starts with us of like, no, we, we, we tolerated it and this is where we're at. So we'll start there. 
could talk about this all day with you, my friend. Um, this is why we need to have you back more frequently. We both had life stuff going on, so it's been a little while. It'll be quicker next time. Dennis Saunders, let folks know where they can come up and keep up with what you've got going on. You've got multiple good podcasts going, which I don't know how you do because I have trouble keeping this one going. Uh, <laughs> you're also a great writer. You do really interesting things and takes on all sorts of things, everything from Sears to religion to everything else. Let folks know how they can keep up with you and what you got going on, my friend. Um, well, you can uh, follow me at my, um, well, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Denmin. It's D-E-N-M-I-N-N. Um, you can also follow along at um, my articles on Medium, which is um, DennisSanders.Medium.com. And then uh, my podcast, which is Church in Maine, which is talking about uh, religion um, and public affairs. And that is at churchandmain.org. And that's all one word. Yeah, everything he does is great. We love having him on. Uh, we'll get, we're going to get you in the regular rotation, my friend, because you're an important voice I want to keep up. You also keep me on my toes because we don't agree on everything and you push my thinking, which I <laughs> always appreciate. And you always answer my dumb, tough questions that I ask you privately, which I always appreciate as well. So Dennis Saunders, thank you so much for the time today, sir. You're welcome. We'll see you later. Thank you, sir. All the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.